right. <clears throat> Thank you, Hunter. Appreciate that. Uh, good singing this morning. Appreciate um, that was fun, wasn't it? Uh, shine, Jesus, shine. Some of y'all need to get, you know, come on, get happy. <laughs> it's Sunday morning. Uh, DT told me he can never sleep until he comes in here. So, <laughs> so I could, if I could bottle that, I'd make sure it was not on your prescription plan and you'd have to pay full retail for it. But uh, our young people can make their way out uh, to Junior Church at this time. Uh, Candy and Spencer, apparently either you're in junior church or you're leading it. I don't know. Okay, hopefully Candy's, Candy's there, so there is an adult in the room. Uh, so junior church head out back there. And the rest of you, turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter number 5. Uh, 1 Peter chapter number 5 in your Bibles. Last week um, began a new series on the topic of anxiety, and it's one of those weeks that... Uh, Every now and then, things gain more traction on our social media platforms, and last week was one of those weeks, uh, so I figured it certainly touched a nerve somewhere, and um, if you didn't listen to last week's, there was some really profound, uh, well, it's not profound, I don't know, was it all that profound, Ben? It was not that profound, was it? It was just, it's clear Bible teaching truth that I hope I made it relevant to you. There you go, I feel a little better. Thank you. Allie, did you make him change that? My, my daughter's up there. Okay, okay. I said, that's what I was about to say. I need a little more power. A little more power so DT can hear me. Um, but uh, it was a blessing last week, and I hope it was to you. I'm going to begin with a word of prayer, then we're going to jump into uh, our study in First Peter chapter number 5 this morning. So let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, it's been good to be here today uh, to be reminded that uh, you are the Christ, the anointed one that came and took upon yourself the sins of the whole world. And we're so thankful for the free gift of eternal life that is found in, through simple faith, through your grace. And uh, Lord, I pray today as we set aside all the things of going on this week and things ahead of us, help us to uh, hear from your spirit through your word. Uh, Lord, as your messenger, I recognize I am uh, flawed, but your word is not. And uh, so God, I pray today that it, what we share would be a, a, a word of encouragement to somebody. Uh, God, I recognize that all of us, I think we're honest, deal with anxiety on some level or another. And Lord, I'm thankful in this life that is so full of brokenness and hurt uh, that you promised to walk with us and that you'd never leave us or forsake us. So as we meet together now, uh, do your work and speak to hearts, speak to each life and a word of encouragement, a word of conviction, wherever it's necessary. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, this morning, I entitled this morning's message, Help with Anxiety, Help with Anxiety. And last week, as I mentioned, we're going to go through First Peter chapter number five. And last week, we began right in the middle of the chapter where verse number seven says, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. And last week we looked at the truth that we are encouraged to cast all of our cares upon him, all our anxieties. And we reminded that this letter that was authored through Peter by the Holy Spirit of God was written to Jewish believers who had been uh, dispersed and they had endured great persecution. Many of them may have lost their jobs. They may have lost their families and social relationships. Uh, let's just say th there was a lot of transition in their life. And I don't know about you, but when transition happens, generally that's the correlation with anxiety. And so I think these folks knew something uh, about worry, about fear, about uncertainty. And so today, as we begin our journey through this chapter, um, 
I, I want to kind of deal with the topic of anxiety, and each week I want to share with you one major truth on how this chapter and how God brings a, a principle or a truth that will allow us to battle this issue that all of us have called anxiety. In other words, when I say, and the scripture says, casting all your care upon him, the question I like to answer is, how do I do that? In other words, how practically in my life can I apply biblical truth that'll help me deal with the anxieties that life inevitably brings? So today I want to hopefully help you do that. I imagine we all need help, and maybe I would encourage you, maybe this week, say, well, that one didn't apply as much to me. Maybe. Maybe it's next week's principle. I don't know. Next several weeks, we're going to go through several of them. Um, They're not always perfect for every certain application, but I'm going to do my best this morning. Um, Hope it's not too, uh, you know, DT, I hope it's not too hard on you. You know, it doesn't irritate you, annoy you too much this morning. There you go. Just, you know, have Tommy get your pillow and you'll be fine. Um, But I saw on social media this week, on one of my social media platforms, uh, this picture came up as I was thinking about this. And I thought, oh, that kind of typifies as we begin here today. Um, There was a church sign that says, do you know what hell is? Come hear our preacher. Um, (laughs) Some of you are going, I don't get it. Um, Good, you don't get it because you've not, you, it's no correlation here at this church, but uh, I thought, well, I hope, I hope this is, a, you know, that it'll make some sense to you today, all right? So we're going to begin going through uh, chapter 5, so let's read our text this morning, which is going to be verses 1 to 4. So in your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 1, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre or money, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall receive, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away." As I was meditating through this first section of First Peter chapter number 5, the phrase that stuck out to me when I was considering anxiety and how can I find some truth and where is God showing that, uh, the phrase, feed the flock of God which is among you, was central and the Holy Spirit impressed upon me. It unlocks some Bible truths in our fight with anxiety. Now, there are two things in this passage, considering especially this phrase, that every Christian needs to help with anxiety. Yes, I said every Christian. Just as this letter, as I mentioned earlier, is directed to believers. Uh, Let me begin by saying that there is no help outside of God. It's not found in any human being in and of themselves. Am I getting a little ring here? You guys hear anything? Does it all sound fine to you? And maybe it's these uh, monitors. I don't know. They're bugging me a little. I don't like hearing myself. You know, I feel sad for you guys already. There you go. You back it down a little there. Maybe that's better. All right, I'm going to keep going. If you hear me fine, you're hearing me fine. Um, this letter is directed to believers. 
There is no help apart from God, and I hope this morning that each and every person that's here today that you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I pray that you come to him uh, by simple faith and receive that free gift that he's offering because there is no help apart from the Lord. The Bible says in, in Psalm 121, I love this psalm, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. And I'm glad this morning that God cared enough for you and he cared enough for me that he's offering you his help this morning and it is only directed as we look up to where he is, not down to where I am. Amen? Not a lot of help looking in the mirror. I don't know, maybe you're better than I am. Not a lot of help and I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. Now in this passage that we're going to look at this morning, when, he, when Peter tells them, feed the flock of God, and he tells that to these elders, the first thing that every Christian needs, and there's two help things here, is I believe every Christian to fight anxiety, number one, needs a pastor. Ooh, now I know a little self-serving. <laughs> I did not do the slides. I would fire the media person, but she's my daughter, so... Like we were talking, David, back there, you know, we, we were stuck with our family, you know, that's who we got. Chose my wife, not my kids. She just <laughs> showed up somehow. I don't know. Uh, thank you, Allie. You're, you're the best. Um, in verse number one, where Peter says, the elders which are among you, that word elders, presbyteros in the Greek, is an interchangeable word with bishop or pastor, and it's used inter- interchangeably throughout the New Testament. And this morning, by technical biblical standards, I'm a teaching and leadership elder here at Open Door Baptist Church. But there are other elders, and really, maybe you don't know this, uh, the way my vision and the way our constitution's set up, we're somewhat elder-led. And some of you, and I, if I were to tell you who they are, most of you would say, oh, I, I believe that. I know that person. They're a leader in the church. And they lead by example. Um, and the church recognizes that leadership. They're Pastor Danny. I think every, te- every pastor should be a teacher. Pastor Cody uh, teach throughout the week. But um, Peter here is focused on the teaching and leadership elders. And as I start this morning, the first thing when it comes to dealing with anxiety, I want to submit to you, according to the Word of God, that every Christian needs a pastor. Yes, Jesus Christ is called the chief shepherd in in verse number 4. And he certainly is, but Jesus gives the church under shepherds, and Paul writes in Ephesians that, that a gift to the church is the ministry of the pastor. And I recognize it's a very high calling, and it is one that I feel very honored and yet very unworthy to do. And I know Pastor Danny and Post- Pastor Cody would tell you, there's probably not a week that goes by, Pastor Danny, when you, you stand there and you realize, why, God, are you calling me to do this? Because uh, there are weeks that I probably have as much or more anxiety than anybody in this room. Jenny doesn't because her life's easy, but I do. No, it's the other way around. I have Jenny, so I don't have a whole lot of anxiety. No, there are no perfect pastors. Do you know, pastors are leaving the ministry at an alarming rate in America. Do you know that? I have several friends of mine in ministries I know around the country that are searching for pastors, and it is hard. And if I may be, she doesn't know, not in the notes, but I mean, more truth. And sometimes finding a good pastor is one thing, but finding that pastor that has a wife that is invested in the ministry as much and is gifted to do it is a whole other thing. You know, so 
as you guys know, the two of us, I'm the lesser half. <laughs> you know, the church would, they need you. Everything would stop working, you know. Although Pastor Danny's picked up a lot of things, you know, all his feminine traits that he has. Um, <laughs> I'm just jealous I can't grow a beard like yours. That's all it is. That's just what it is. It's a mustache. I did that on the cruise, but she... <laughs> True story, I grew it, I was all in the way in January on the cruise, I grew a whole beard, you know, and one night I just got so sick of the thing, it was bugging me, I'm rolling around in my pillow, like, who wants one of these things? I got two in the morning, but it's cruise ship time, so that's any time. Good, I get up to the morning, shave the thing off, get up in the morning, she's looking at me going, what happened? <laughs> I, got, I got tired of it, so I'm sorry, Pastor Danny. Moving right along, pastoring is hard. It's demanding, but it is a high calling and it is a great honor. But sometimes I think we ask the question, what is a good pastor? What kind of pastor is going to be able to help fight your, in your life anxiety? Well, in verse number one, it's interesting that Peter begins by describing, he says, I'm also an elder. And Peter reminds them that he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And also, verse one, a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Peter reminds these persecuted believers that he was called to be an elder, and he reminds them that he was a witness to the great suffering of the Lord, that Peter was there in the garden when, when, they, he, when the Lord was betrayed by Judas and when Jesus was arrested and hauled off. He was there uh, and heard in the distance the false accusations charged against him. Uh, he, he was there and, and was in the distance there as the Lord Jesus was beaten and was scourged and, and, they, and his beard was pulled out and he was forced to carry his cross up the, up the hill of Calvary and, and was nailed to a cross and lifted on high and a spear uh, thrown and shoved into his side and and Peter was either there off in the distance or was very familiar with what the Lord did and Peter saw the price and the effect of sin sometimes I think we take it really lightly what the Lord paid for your redemption and mine all we like sheep have gone astray we've turned everyone to his own way Isaiah 53 and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Peter was aware of the sufferings of the Lord, but he also says he was also a partaker in the glory. Most people think that he's referring to a couple things, for sure referring to the time when the Lord Jesus revealed his deity there on the Mount of Transfiguration and showed Peter, James, and John the glory that was inside the deity of who he is and as the Son of God. And, and you remember Peter wanted to set up our tabernacle there and skip to the end of the story and say, okay, it's time, Lord, you take over. And, but Peter was also there. At some point, we know he showed up at that empty tomb. And at some point, we know that, that Peter had an encounter with the, with the risen Lord uh, that, that conquered the death and, and the grave and, and he, he went from both extremes. He said, I saw the sufferings and the effect of sin but I also saw the glory and the hope that's found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I will tell you that in principle a good pastor is one who understands what the price and impact of sin is all about. 
that understands, and I'll tell you, if you're a pastor that's in touch with your people, one of the things that makes it so difficult is that you watch people go through life, and sometimes due to their own choices, sometimes due to things beyond their control, they, they go through things that are very, very hurtful. Sometimes they are recipients of wrongdoing that is devastating in its effects, and yet we can look at that, and I see in its root foundation, it's called original sin, the depravity of man that we foist upon one another that, that elevates anxiety in all of our lives. And I'm sure every single one of you here this morning in your story has some of these wounds. The effect of sin. That's what Jesus died for. But a good pastor also understands the hope and the glory of the Lord Jesus that can be reflected in you and I as, as God takes broken situations and he takes the hopelessness like the, the sin of the world and he took it upon himself and he conquered it. And I'm glad that I don't serve a God who stayed dead in a grave. I, I, I don't follow Buddha this morning or I don't follow Muhammad this morning. They're dead. At least their physical body's dead and they're probably in a place that's not so comfortable this morning. Boy, I'm going to be edgy, aren't I? Is that going to be on C4C this week? Uh, yeah, right there. I serve a God that came out of the tomb. And unlike any other religion, the Bible and a relationship with Christ offers hope. It offers redemption. It offers a second chance. Or <laughs> when Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I forgive somebody that messes up? You know the story, seven times 70. A good pastor understands the struggles of life, but also has a grasp that, you know what? When you come to a good pastor, he, he, he can see beyond some of your problems and through the hope that's found in Jesus Christ that he can impart to you a hope that, you know what? There is a better tomorrow available. Good pastors understand the suffering and also the glory. Peter goes on in verse number two of our text and says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. A good pastor feeds the flock. And if you want help with anxiety as a Christian, it only comes as you are fed and as you feed on the word of God. Now I know I don't want to be simplistic here because I'm not trying to be simplistic. I'm just simply telling you that if you live the Christian faith any length of time and you walk through the roads of life and you go through a lot of hurts and if your response will be to turn to God and the, through the Holy Spirit of God to the word of God, you'll find that the word of God as you go through life will become more and more and more precious. <laughs> and if you don't understand what I mean, please trust me. The world does not have the answers. You need to be as a Christian, a sheep, a healthy sheep that is well fed. Now the Greek word here for feed the flock of God, there's a couple different Greek words. There's one that literally just means, you know, shove the trough in front of them. <laughs> you know, give your favorite sheep food. I don't know what their favorite sheep food is. I don't know. I started out on the farm. What did sheep eat? I don't know. All I knew is you never walked behind a ram because they will kick you. Um, yeah, they will. You know, they can be ornamental things. But good food, and that's one definition of the word feed. But the, the Greek word that's here in First Peter chapter 5 has the idea of all the, the duties of, of feeding. Maybe shepherding is the idea with all of its responsibilities. And I think that's why in verse number two, he begins to expand on these, these responsibilities of a pastor that he is supposed to take the oversight. 
Just like a shepherd with a sheep takes the oversight, so an under-shepherd of a flock takes, takes the oversight. He takes charge. He gives direction. Now, if you've been around Open Door, and some of you have been around here since the very beginning, you know that I believe in our church is founded on a, in a pastoral leadership uh, dynamic. You know, one of, the, one of the worst things, this is my opinion, but some churches have so many committees they just don't get nothing done. I have some friends of mine, some good friends of mine as a pastor, bless them in the Southern Baptist Convention, bless the SBC and the big battle they're in right now. I pray that the conservatives that are standing for the word of God will triumph. But my dear buddies who pastor in the SBC, I'm like, they, 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 they want to buy a new vacuum cleaner. It takes them three months. By the time it goes through the five different committees, I'm like, go buy a vacuum cleaner. You're not into that, huh? Okay. Trust me on this, all right? Pastors are given authority to, to take charge, to give direction. That a, a good shepherd, when they're with the sheep, and if they're near an edge somewhere and the sheep is going towards the edge, a good shepherd is probably going to take the old crook in the thing and grab them by the nap of the neck, you know, or the back of the neck, and haul them away. And the sheep may look at him and go, what's up with that? You don't like me very much, do you? You know, there's a 500-foot cliff right there. If you are in a church that is pastored by somebody who does not have enough courage to boldly feed you from the Word of God, biblical principle, I'm not talking about opinion, especially in Baptist churches, biblical principle that will confront you right where you live, and dare I say at times may even offend you, you got to find another pastor. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that leave churches because a pastor like me, like a couple weeks ago, I slammed this half, the halftime show on the Super Bowl. When that, was that last week I did that? I don't know, recently. I, you know, I, I am occasionally want to comment on social issues. I am not afraid to say that killing a baby in the womb is killing a baby in the womb. But I'm also not afraid to say if you have a bitter spirit in your heart, you're a poisonous person. And sometimes I'll be preaching and people think, oh, he's just mad at me. Oh, he knew what I was doing this week. No, not really. The Holy Spirit knows. <laughs> Maybe he, he communicated to me. But sometimes a good shepherd is going to take the oversight. And he's going to give some direction that might, you might not like. But you know, the irony of the whole thing is the people that get offended by the, the word of God and oftentimes they don't want to say, that, you know, who's going to say it's the Bible? So instead of saying it's the Bible that's wrong, they say it's the messenger that's wrong. And that just comes with pastoring. That's all right. But a, a little bit of thick skin. But what's ironic is those people, they get offended by a truth of the word of God that hits them right between the eyes and they say, well, I'm not going to go back there because, oh, I didn't like it. You know, he said, listen, well, it hurt my feelings and I don't think he's right. I think, well, you know, if you think you're right, fine. You're going to stand before God for you, not me. But I got to tell you, many of the people that leave out of offense are the very ones that never get victory and anxiety in areas of their life because they won't deal with the root issue. You know how I, you know how you know when God's on the root issue? It gets you mad. I don't like it when the Holy Spirit pulls back the curtain and says, hey, this is what your heart really looks like. And we say, no, I'm just going to go somewhere where someone will, will tell me what I want to hear. Don't be surprised when you're not going to get victory over your anxiety. 
Now, Peter goes on to say that a good pastor is one that takes this authority and he doesn't do it primarily just for money. Now, again, it's the Bible, the New Testament's full of saying that pastors that teach the Word of God faithfully are worthy of financial remuneration. But if the primary motive for a pastor is money, that's a bad thing. And unfortunately, in our day-to-day, that's out there. I'm thankful that the way the Lord led in my life, I spent many years in the sales world, in the secular world. And when Jen and I surrendered to the ministry, just this just a fact, I'm trying to be just this morning, be a little more since it's pastor, I'm, you know, and Allie put my picture up there. Be a little honest with you this morning, you know. I left a sales job that was paying three times what I took for my first pastorate. I took a big pay cut to go into ministry. And you know what? That's a good, good litmus test. Now, 25 years later, it's worked out pretty good, hadn't it? If you know, God's blessed me pretty good, hasn't he, Matt and Michelle? Some of you, Brock, have been around here long. He's blessed me pretty good, you know? Provided a home for me. To, you know, life's good, but at the end of the day, the primary thing cannot be money. It's got to be something that a, that a man wants to do because he's got a calling that God's called him to minister and serve other people. Verse 3, he goes on and keeps describing this pastor neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Yes, Peter says pastors have the authority, and they do. Now, sometimes in churches, and when I came down to the south, especially the deep south, because, you know, I was pastoring in central Florida, so I really left, I went north to go south, um, because... <laughs> Those, those of you get that, get that. You know, I was in Central Florida. That's kind of Southern. Now, Polk County is really redneck, kind of my kind of people right there. So our cousins are all down in Polk County, Florida, um, if you want to know where the Floridians of ours are at. But uh, coming up here, I'd hear stories about what went on in some churches. And I'm like, man, that is abuse, you know, pastoral abuse. Pastors ought not seek to be worshiped. Right, Joe? I don't want to name any names. And I'm probably going to offend people on this too, but most of you don't even know, don't even care, but that's okay. And I was a teenager, we went to a church in Hammond, Indiana, that any time the pastor, quote-unquote, came out, we all had to stand up and applaud him and bow down to him. And I was a teenager, and teenagers are really good at picking out hypocrisy. They really are. Teenagers are... There's something about those ages. They know when someone's a fake. That's why parents, if you think you're faking them out, you're not faking out your kids. But I was a teacher. I'd sit back there and go, ah, you know. I'm sorry, you know. That's a true story. I've told this story before. His son one time got up, to, we were at this conference, and he preached this message on the authority of the Word of God, which there was some good truth in there, to some part of it. Then there's thousands of kids, teenagers in this room. And he tells him, he says, he says, now what I want you to do, he said, if you, really, if you really love the word of God, I want you to get out of your seat right now and get down on your knees. And I want you to get your Bible and I want you to start kissing your Bible. <laughs> True story. Now, I was just a teenager. And if you know that my mom and dad who are probably watching or listening, if you want to testify, they'll, they'll tell you their children who's the one that never, you know, if you tell me to go right instinctively, what am I going to do? Go left. Um, and so I'm looking around, me and one of my buddies from, from my youth group looking around. And I look around, all these teenagers are getting down on their knees. And doing, I'm thinking, I don't think so, Tim. <laughs> so I sat there. And the ushers are coming down. Hey, hey, you need to, I'm going to, no, 
No, no. This, this is the word of God, and I think when it's in written form, it should be respected. I don't think you should throw this book around out of respect for what it is, but it's paper and leather and ink. And that was an abuse of authority. And um, no. You see, in verse 4, it says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a good pastor, a crown of glory that fadeth not away. You know, a good pastor recognizes that my accountability is great for you, but y'all don't belong to me. I'm an under-shepherd of the great shepherd. I've been given authority in a local church, yes, but ultimately I have to give account to him, and Peter reminds him, one day he's going to appear, and you're going to give an account, and when that happens, if you've been faithful, you're going to get a crown of glory that doesn't fade away. And I th- I've been thinking about that all week. What do you mean a crown that doesn't fade away? Yes, yeah, glory that's going to be eternal in nature. But I got to tell you, sometimes a pastor, one of the hardest things in pastoring is watching glory fade away. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, it's really hard when you invest in someone's life and they make changes and they start serving God and they start getting their life together, but somewhere along the way they run into an obstacle that's a little too hard and they quit. And as Proverbs says, as a dog returns to their vomit, so they go back to their old way and their old self. And if you're a pastor that's legit, every time that happens, it hurts very deeply. It does. And Peter says, hey, the Lord's going to come and he's going to give you a crown if you're faithful. When I was in Preacher Boys, we used to call it at Pensacola Christian, if you were a Bible major or a missions major, I don't know, Joe, Joe, would you have to go to Preacher Boys? After, is that what they still call it after chapel on once a week that all the, all the ministerial majors got together? They still do that? No, they don't do that anymore? Oh, man. When they'd have special speakers, a special speaker from chapel would come speak to us or different ones. And I remember Pastor Shetler, and I know many of you know Pastor Shetler from down there. He was the youth pastor back in my day because I'm really, really old. Um, but but uh, I remember one time he was teaching us about you know, principles of pastoring, and he said this. He said, the reward is not the sheep. The reward is not the sheep. And as a pastor, sometimes I have to be reminded of of that fact. The reward is the revealed glory of the Lord Jesus, and the reward is a crown of glory for faithful service, and it's not going to be won by making everybody happy. It's not won by being the best marketing guy in town. But it's won by faithful service and by loving the sheep as Jesus loves the sheep. See, the, this kind of pastor is one you can talk to, the one you can call or you can text, the one when you're hurting, they're hurting, the one when you're rejoicing, they're rejoicing, the one that will pray with you, the one that will feed you the Word of God, that will walk with you through life and all the anxiety that it brings. No, there's no perfect pastor, there's only one. There is that great shepherd, but I'm so thankful that the great shepherd brings under shepherds and as we're following and eating the Word of God and, and following the Spirit's leading, that we have this personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and as the psalmist says of that wonderful psalm that's not just for funerals the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he maketh me to lie down in green pastures he leadeth me beside the still waters he restoreth my soul he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake and yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for thou art with me thy rod and thy staff they comfort me thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies thou anointest my head with oil my cup runneth over 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen and amen. So a good pastor helps the sheep navigate life, including all the anxieties. Now, I'm not saying this morning, I want to be really clear, because there's big philosophy arguments about this. I believe that God does gift some lay people in churches or other places to be counselors and life coaches. I think there are other areas that could come alongside to help folks. You know, I know some pastors, oh, you, you know, every... There's some people that say, only the pastor can help you with all your issues that you're having in your life. Now, I think there's some people that God has gifted to do this that work alongside. But then there are other churches that say, if you have a problem, you go knock on the pastor's door, and the only thing he wants to do is schedule you for some, to talk to somebody else. I think the local church needs to engage real life where people are. A good pastor is a must, and every Christian needs a pastor. Secondly, and I'll be done, only two points this morning. Every Christian needs a pastor, and every Christian needs a pasture. Pretty good, huh? Nice alliteration, pastor, I like that. What, what funny picture does Allie have up here? Okay, we got a cow. Moo! Turn that cow into a ribeye. Um, that's all I see. Um, the Bible says, feed the flock. Peter says that believers are sheep, and we know that this thought was not put in him by himself, that Peter remembers very clearly, knowing the Old Testament, but then as well in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 10? said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but sheep did, and the sheep did not hear them. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved, and he shall go in and go out and find pasture. Jesus says, I'm the only way. Pretty clear, pretty bold. The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Isn't it great to be one of God's sheep this morning? Do you like being a sheep? Here, I'm going to do some weird authority. I'm not going to make you kiss your Bible, but I'll do something funnier. You know, I thought to myself, you know, when we say we're a sheep, I know you've all heard sermons on sheep that they're the most humble animal. Those who grew up on the farm, I had different opinion of sheep. They're, they're pretty headstrong. They got, the thing. They, got their, they got their issues. They're not this little cotton ball thing, you know. I, trust me. But there's the oh, sheep or this, the sheep or that. But, you know, my granddaughter said this morning, and I remember when she was, you know, one, two years old, you get the picture thing, and the sheep says... If you're watching online and you're listening online, we're going to do it again. All the sheep say, bah. He said, I'm too good to say that. Well, you're, you need to deal with humility. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. I thought, we're all sheep. And a sheep, by definition, needs a pasture. And when you find a pasture with sheep, I grew up on the farm. I don't think my farmer friend next door ever had just one sheep. Is that the singular for sheep? Sheep, sheepies? I don't know. Sheepies. <laughs> I've made up a word. Um, it's, there's, there's a flock of sheep. You know, Jesus taught <clears throat> how the good shepherd leaves the 99. You got some water for me. Um, and you guys know that story, right? The good shepherd leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one straight. When he goes and finds the DT, 
Sorry, DT. You found me, actually, so I can't really say that. But, and I, I need to know, apparently I offend people, you know. I love this guy down here, right? And the only way he knows I love him if I tell him what a lousy guy he is. It's the only way he knows. <clears throat> it's how he receives love. It's his love language. Um, but you guys know that story. And most of the time people use that as a picture of, of you know, going and finding the unsaved. The person who doesn't know the Lord, he's out there in the world, and the shepherd goes and gets him and brings him back. I, I would ask you and Luke there to consider, I think it's a better picture for a believer, not an unbeliever. Because it says that he went out and got the sheep, and brought it back to the flock. All the flock are one thing. He already, that person was already a sheep, but he was a headstrong sheep and a foolish sheep that decided he wasn't going to listen to the shepherd and wandered off and got himself lost. And the good shepherd went out there and found him and brought him back to the flock. And I'll tell you, if there's anything that that picture's in, a picture of ministry, that's it. And I'm so thankful that God never gives up. And I know my own spiritual journey, there's been times and seasons of my life where I've wandered away a little bit and God brought me back. And every time he brought me back, he brought me back to the flock. Even earlier in this letter, in chapter 2 of 1 Peter here, Peter earlier in this letter had written, for for ye, believers, were as sheep going astray, but now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. That these believers, because of the persecution they were under, had, had said, I don't know if I want to live this faith anymore. It's not very good. But God brought him back and brought him back to the flock. You know, God never says anywhere to a sheep, go out there all by yourself. You'll be fine. <laughs> what a good shepherd, you know. Hey, just go wander in the hills over there by yourself. You'll be fine. Don't worry about the wolves and the coyotes and the cliffs that you'll fall off of. You'll be fine. No, no, no. No, no shepherd would ever say that. You need to be part of a flock. There's a lot of benefits to living in the flock. I think one of the best ones is battling loneliness. Now, let me start this by saying, I understand there are times that you need to be alone. There are times where you need to be alone with God. Those are important times. But as a way of life, we need each other. (laughs) Um, When I got sick about eight, nine years ago, and whatever it is that God has allowed in my life, one of the things that I began to deal with more than I ever had was the issue of anxiety and depression. My personality type is not one that had historically had big issues with that. I, my, my answer to everything is try harder, work longer, be more committed, and you'll be okay. But when anxiety and panic and depression weigh on you like a cloud that is just a thousand pounds and there are days that you can't pull the covers over your head you know off from your head or you can't get out of the bed and there are days like that you see anxiety thrives in the darkness of loneliness it does um I was studying for this, and as I told you last week, there's so much information out there to weed through, you know, and everybody's got an opinion, and that's fine. I just decided for me, I'm a a teacher of the Word of God. I'm just going to say, what does God have to say about it? 
But I came across an article, I think Allie has the, a picture of the, written by Calm Clinic. I'm not endorsing them. I don't know everything they're about, but How Isolation and Loneliness Hurt Anxiety is the title of the article. And it starts out by saying, quote, I just need some time alone. This is one of the most common phrases, this is what they say, that those with anxiety say when they experience severe anxiety or stress. It can also be one of the most incorrect statements about how to deal with anxiety. Taking time to rest and recover is important. However, isolation, loneliness, and simply not conversing with others can have a profoundly negative emotional impact in a way that few people ever, ever realize. Time alone can become problematic and tells us some social interaction is essential for managing anxiety. Now the Bible would say it is every Christian should be part of a flock. That's how the Bible would say it. An integral part of the flock, not one that shows up every now and then, you know, in and out and you know, wanders in, wanders out, you know, I, but part of a flock. And I know when I'm dealing with anxiety and, and depression, there are sometimes when Jenny says enough is enough, she'll come in into the room and she takes all the drapes and opens up and lets all the sunlight come in. And then she grabs, you know, my, she's got to pull me out of there, get out of here and pull, slides me out there. And, and I get outside and now I'm still on my back because Jenny's pulled me out of the house and I'm looking up there and the big blue sky and the puffy clouds out there. And some within a few minutes when I get out there in the sunshine things begin to change anybody else know what I'm talking about but you're 100% convinced when you're under that pressure of anxiety that me just staying here by myself is better and nobody ever needs to see my face again and I don't want to see anybody else's face ever again but if you give in to that as a dominant way you are going to be ruled by anxiety You need to come to the flock for warmth, for encouragement, for protection. And sometimes when you come to the flock, you get too close to another sheep, you get a good swift kick because you're acting the fool. And other sheep says, hey, you're being an idiot sheep. Knock it off. Now, if you're right and that person's being an idiot, then kick them back. And then pastors like me have to come in with the rod of correction and go, stop it, both of you. We need to flock together. Now understand, I can hear some of you right now, and you're, those of you watching and listening online, I can hear in your brain. You say, how do you know what's going on in my brain? Because I know you people. I know you sheep, all right? This is what you're saying. Yeah, pastor, but the flock sometimes is the biggest source of my anxiety. Fair enough. Isn't the reality there are selfish sheep, there are angry sheep, there are dumb sheep, there are clueless sheep, there are bitter sheep. There's all kinds of sheep. There's rebellious sheep. There are sick sheep. All that is true. But you know whose responsibility the sick sheep is? The great shepherd, number one, and the under shepherd, number two. And then if he's in your way, give him a kick. <laughs> Nicely. But all that fact does not invalidate Jesus and the Lord's command to be part of a local flock. It does not. I would tell you, if you're at a flock that everybody's mean and everybody's rebellious and everybody's bitter and everybody's sick, I would find you another shepherd, under shepherd, and I'd find you a little healthier flock. That's my advice. But every flock you go to is going to have their problems. We all need to come together in corporate worship of the great shepherd to edify one another, to be fed by the under shepherd, 
And when all these things happen, you know what it is designed to produce? And for Open Door, you want a little clue on what one of my goals is? I want these walls and this place to be a happy place. Yeah, there's going to be times of tears and there's sometimes there's times of conflict, but you've heard me say it once, I'll say it again. If you ain't happy, please find another church because I just want you to be happy. And if you don't like the way we run things here, you don't like this, that, never, and everything's always bad, and sometimes sheep get like that, there have been a few sheep along the years that I've shown them where the door is. You say, why? Because I want them to be happy. And if they're not happy here, you're missing the point. Don't come to church. Every time you come to church, all it does is make you mad. All it does is bring you down. When you're worshiping the great shepherd, it should produce joy and gladness and be an antidote to anxiety. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates, how? With thanksgiving and into his courts, how? With praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth all generations. Amen and amen. And when you go to church... It ought to be a place and a time where, as a pattern of behavior, it's a source of encouragement. But you know, a lot of times, the people, the ones who are critical the most, are the ones that have invested the least, and they say something like this to me, oh, I tried, I tried, I tried. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not the one who made up this form. I'm just an under-shepherd, serving the great shepherd, understanding the word of God. The word of God is very clear in the book of Acts that God, after a Pentecost, created the local church, and the whole New Testament's addressed to this church, and that church, and this church, and to the church of this. You how to have the local church as the center point of your life. I know it's not popular. Didn't get a lot of amens on that one, did I, hon? It's okay. It's Bible truth. You can get to heaven one day. I don't care what business you built. I don't care what, how much wealth you acquired. I don't care whatever things you did. If, you, if, if you, you left out God's plan in your life, you are going to have missed what God's best for you would have been. Period. Sorry. And we come up with all kinds of excuses of why we can't do this and why we can't do that and I've been hurt too many times and you know, blah, 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 blah. Sometimes, you know what? You need to say, bless God, help me get out from underneath the covers, help me get out from underneath the darkness, get out into the light of the Holy Spirit of God and get around some other believers and laugh a little bit. You'd be amazed what it'll do for your anxiety. What is it the Bible says? Laughter doeth good like a medicine. Hmm. That's why, by the way, if you wonder around here, if you come to our church, we got kids running around here all the time. I try not to, I don't want them to wipe out us people, us diamond people, you know, us precious 50s and overs. Um, But aren't children a blessing? Yeah, I, oh, the other night, the Wanda program, they had glow night. They took the whole fellowship hall and turned into black lighting and glow lighting. We weren't back from the cruise yet. I told them next year, the only rule is you wait till I'm back. <laughs> I want to be part of that. Pa, 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 you know. We had donut night. The parents love donut night. The kids go home and they're all tired out and everything. Just pump them full of sugar. That's what we do. The kids are happy. Yeah, I want to teach them the Word of God, and I'm thankful for the Iwana program, the junior church programs, but I tell all of our workers, listen, if you don't make junior church and a want of fun they're going to conclude that God's not fun anxiety comes when we don't know where to do what to do or where to go and that's why you need a great shepherd and an under shepherd and you need a flock um, 
as I stop this morning, um, I'm, I've been more personal today than I typically am, but dealing with pastors, but this week with this truth on me and dealing with anxiety and um, I sat there and I considered, and Jen and I discussed a little bit, the role of pastors and pastures in our lives. You know, I grew up in a Christian home, went to Christian school, graduated from Christian college, went to seminary, got, you know, all blah, 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 taught, taught school for several years. But, you know, I really didn't start, and Jen and I didn't really make a full commitment to be a part till long after I had all my degrees done. I had degrees. I was smart. <laughs> but what good is smart when it's not fully committed to Jesus Christ and the local church? And we got away from church for a little while. True story. We were attending a, a large church. Didn't go for about six months. You know, nobody called us. My dad's the chairman of the deacons. Or he was. Nobody called. Nobody. Now, I'm sure we will drop the ball like that, but I pray we don't. And by the way, to the other sheep here, when you miss somebody, why not check on them? I'm too busy. You're too busy. Who are you checking on? But nobody called. So we, we just quit going. And then God brought us back to a place where we had to look at each other and say, we're married now starting our life and eventually our family, what are we going to do? And we came to a point when we were probably in our 20s, we were in our 20s, late 20s, I'd say, and said, okay, we're in. Uh, my faith, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he's coming again. I believe I'm, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, so I want to serve him. We're, we made a commitment to be a part of a local church no matter where we went. And my job moved me around from states to state, and everywhere we went, we would ask God to lead us to a pastor and to a flock. You know, one of the hardest things, let me be really raw with you this morning. Please, this is no violin thing for you, but one of the hardest things about going into full-time pastorate, especially as a lead pastor, is everybody in this room has a pastor but me. And it's hard. Now, I have other pastors that I call and this kind of stuff, but as somebody who for many years was in lay leadership of the church and was used to having a pastor to go to, it, it, was, it was a big adjustment. Sometimes back to that lonely thing. But everywhere we'd go, we would ask God to lead us to a, a pastor and a flock, and we, we reminisced over our life. And I remember as a young couple, I took a job outside of the city of Chicago, a little town called Oswego out there by Aurora and Naperville, if you know Chicago area, which I know many of you here do. And uh, we, we ended up attending Valley Baptist Church, Pastor Roy Chestnut, and really grew in our ministry there to the point that I felt the call of God, and I got ordained there. And my ordination certificate to this day has Valley Baptist Church on it. It was a, it was a, it was a very difficult time, and while we were there, I've never told you this story. Maybe one day I will, but Jenny and I were involved in a car accident that nearly took our lives while we were there. That's anxiety, and I will tell you this. I'm so thankful that, that, but that when, when our church family found out where Jen and I were at, what hospital we were at, the, 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 the nurses came in and said, the whole waiting room out there is full of all these people want to know what you're doing. And they were there. 
One after that, because of a job change, I ended up back in Rockford, Illinois, where Pastor Tom Tuttle and Kishwaukee Baptist Church, a really little church, 30 people, 40 people, but boy, did we grow in that little church. They taught us so many things and got involved and plugged in, and that was Jenny's first nursery director responsibility. Um, we were between jobs. I was trying to start a small business, my own business, and it didn't fly. We got the, a developer. I hate developers. I'm bitter against developers, but the developer pulled the rug out from underneath us, and you know it didn't work, and so I was in the middle of a business failure, and that little church ministered to us, and that pastor did. Got a different job, started in sales, a different kind of sales job, and moved to Indiana, and the Lord led us to Hillcrest Baptist Church and Pastor Frank Holman in Richmond, Indiana, and uh, that's where we grew again. Many, many, our kids came along and went through some storms of life as new parents and young in our, in our marriage and took over some leadership, became a deacon and part of the, the leadership of the church and was teaching the family life ministry there, went through a whole kind of bunch of things, and, and that church was significant in our our formation of our life that from that church we took our first pastorate down to Winter Haven, Florida, got indoctrinated in what it is to be in the ministry. We were there in Central Florida for about eight years. After eight years, went back up uh, because uh, left that church mainly because the Christian school was more important than the, the local church, and I had that was a philosophical difference. So ended up going up to Nashville, Tennessee, helped a friend of mine start Global Vision uh, Baptist Church there outside of Nashville. And uh, while we were there and getting our church started, we had no church, and so we started going to Fairhaven. Haven's Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee with Pastor Goforth. And during that time, I won't share the whole testimony. I don't have time. I'm over time already. But in a brief note, Jenny and I had gone through leaving a church. And after we left the church, uh, the Lord allowed every, all, my, all our savings, all our, my retirement fund from when I'd been in sales, everything. We lost all, not lost. We had to spend it all because uh, we had no income for about six, seven, eight months of our life. And we were there in a small town living in an apartment above at a nurse, at a children's home with a little old lady living underneath us and we lived in an attic basically and with all four of us the kids sleeping in the living room together Allie loved that didn't you love the Aunt Martha's house still does you know still and 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 didn't have anything but we 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 went to this little church 50 60 people and during those months where we had nothing and every single month when the house bill was coming due and the insurance bills were coming due and the gasoline bills were coming due and we had no income coming in at all and we ran out of all of our money, we watched God work in miraculous ways and I'm telling you, uh, as I stand here in front of you, without that local church, I don't know what we would have done. God's blessings flowed through the local church. And they did. I don't know where we would be without him. I remember every Sunday night, <laughs> once the church began to figure who we are, and Pastor Goforth was an older pastor. He was in his early 60s, and here I'm showing up in my prime of my career in my 40s, and was he threatened by me? No. He knew that here's a, here's a young guy that's on the edge of quitting and he invested in me and they loved on us and when the church understood our story and they took in, they loved on our children and every Sunday night after Sunday night church, one of these older couples that would come up and say, hey, a group of us are going out to Cracker Barrel. We want you to come and we're going to pick up the tab. One of the things I learned is humility because I didn't have any money. What are you going to do? You know, I know what some of you do. I'm not taking any help. Well, that's why you got nothing. I didn't have anything. I said, hey, if you're going to take us, you know, okay. And every Sunday night, they would, each one of them would take one of our bills and we'd go to Cracker Barrel and they'd feed us. We were broken, discouraged, and wounded, but they loved on us and restored us. And I promise you on a stack of Bibles that this church, whatever God's used it to accomplish, would not have happened 
without Fairhaven's Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. There's a lot of anxiety in life, parenting issues, financial issues, health issues, daily life issues. You want help? God says you need a pastor and you need a pasture. Amen? Lord Jesus, thank you for the truth of your word this morning. Lord, I know I've been very clear and very direct, but Lord, this battle with anxiety is a real deal. Lord, I understand that the church is made up of imperfect and sinful, broken sheep as well, but God, I'm so thankful for the local church, and I pray that Open Door would be a place of encouragement, that we would love one another and help one another. It'd be a place of joy. Lord, I pray if there's one here today or somebody who's watching online that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, my dear friend, can I beg you, plead you, if you don't know that you were to die, that you would go to heaven, would you know that the Bible says in Acts chapter 16, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Would you trust him today? Would you let him know, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, that you died on a cross for my sin and rose again and now are offering me that gift of eternal life. If you received it, personally received it, I pray that you have. Holy Spirit of God, I pray you'd seal decisions, help us as a church family to grow together. Uh, Lord, we are in uh, troubled times and dangerous days as a nation and as a world. God, it's a time that the local church can shine brighter than ever. Help us to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand as...